Good evening, everybody. Uh, your host, as always, for the War Room to the Boardroom podcast, focusing on transitioning into corporate America and leaving the military. Today, we have our guest, Lieutenant Colonel TJ, or Theodius Pope. He and I will be discussing his transition and managing a dual military and corporate career at the same time. His background, he's a senior director of engine strategy and a growth leader for Honeywell. He's also in the U.S. Army Reserve as an aviation officer. He's a former National Guard aviation battalion commander, former product director for Dow Chemical. Before transitioning, he was an active UH-60 Blackhawk pilot, and he's also a graduate of both West Point and the University of Chicago Boot School. So for the delay, I'll let TJ introduce himself. Good evening. Good evening. Thanks for having me and appreciate you inviting me to this discussion and looking forward to, to having the chat. As Mary Sean said, I'm TJ Pope. Did my undergrad at, at West Point, studied uh, political science and environmental engineering. Went off to Army Aviation, was stationed at Fort Hood in Germany during my active duty career. Commanded a company in Germany, left active duty, uh, went to B school at uh, Chicago Booth and decided to join the Dow Chemical Company after B-School and had some great experiences there, but wasn't uh, necessarily passionate about the chemicals industry and and took the opportunity to join the aerospace industry, uh, which was my passion. So shifted over to Honeywell, have been in, in predominantly product management and corporate strategy roles for my entire corporate career with both Dow and Honeywell. However, I did uh, do a two-year stint in supply chain during the pandemic as a as a broadening assignment within Honeywell. So uh, that's that's my background in a nutshell. Married, two kids, living in Phoenix, Arizona at the moment, but from Ohio originally. Definitely. So we'd love to learn a little, more, little bit more about your background and kind of one, you said you come from Ohio, where in Ohio, and then two, what kind of pulled you initially into the military and into what? Yeah, so I'm from Cleveland and uh, really a, a diehard Clevelander and, and all things Cleveland and Ohio sports. As far as what got me into the military, uh, a, a couple of things really. I'm, I mean, I'm, I, my father was a career Army NCO, although he was retired before I was born. And really never talked about his service. Uh, he was a Vietnam era soldier, but my grandfather was a, a World War II soldier that, and he had to to fight to be able to fight. And he was very vocal about his time in service and very proud of his service and very much encouraged me uh, to take on that challenge and and be an officer and do things that weren't readily available to him in his generation during their service uh, in terms of uh, taking leadership roles, being an aviator and, and doing the things that I wanted to do. Um, and, and I always wanted to, the other element of this, I, I always wanted to fly. I was always interested in aviation and um, ended up choosing uh, West Point over some of the other academies ultimately because of football, even though my, my football career was very short-lived uh, at the academy. Um, that that was why I made that decision. Uh, I always remember the the recruiter telling me that uh, the Army had more aircraft in the Air Force and more boats than the Navy, and so I said, "Sure, why not? Let's go." <laughs> as as good a reason as any other. Yeah. <laughs> and so, when you decided to to leave the Army, you left at what rank? 
and what was the genesis mm-hmm. started that decision yeah my, my story is a little unique in that I, I actually intended to be a, a lifer on active duty and do my 20 on active duty and then and then go pursue my corporate career or whatever career thereafter uh, I was actually uh, injured during my first tour in Iraq and I thought I wasn't going to be able to fly anymore and so I started applying to business schools because I said if I'm going to sit behind a desk for the rest of my life I might as well get paid uh, to, to do so. And although I ultimately had a couple surgeries and, and was cleared to go back to flight status, about that same time, I had some acceptance letters from some M7B schools in my hand and some scholarship money. And I was like, let me go see what this is all about, because Uncle Sam will always take me back. If I can't handle it all in the corporate world, I can always come back on active duty. Uh, and that was part of the reason why I actually stayed in the guard, why I joined the guard as well. But uh, to answer your question, I was a senior captain post-command. I actually came out on the majors list while I was out processing. So I, I, I transitioned to the guard as a promotable captain. And in making that transition, I guess, considering like family and all those other things, mm-hmm. talk about some of those considerations. In your life. Yeah, I had my, my, uh, my oldest child was born the about the same time I transitioned. He was one month old when I ETSed. So I made the decision while my wife was pregnant and, and certainly the thought of some stability was in my mind, but ultimately, you know, to, I, I've moved just as much with the, with my corporate career as I would have as an active duty soldier. I mean, I've moved my last, the last place we lived, we stayed for five years. I've been in my current place for, for three years and, and that's, that's unusual. The first six years of my post active duty life. I moved three times uh, in those six years. There, you can find stability, but certainly, especially if you if uh, a person transitions into some of the larger corporations in, in the world, you know, you're still going to have to move or most likely uh, need to uh, be mobile to, to have upward advancement opportunity and, and upward mobility. For our listeners, where are you now? And what exactly is a senior director for people who are only necessarily familiar Sure. With? I work for Honeywell Aerospace, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of, of Honeywell International, which is, as some listeners might know, Fortune 100 company, 120,000 employees, global company. And, and really what I am is I lead the strategy for our engines business, which is about a, a $2 billion a year portion of the Honeywell Aerospace, and we manufacture a multitude of engines for business jets, Chinook helicopters, M1 Abrams tanks, and a variety of other aircrafts as well. What's the requirement after you're you're kind of in the executive level position, Mm -hmm. managing that, you're managing your guard career, you're managing a family, can you talk about how you brought those together and then also managed to excel? in each one of those simultaneously? Yeah. So when I was transitioning, I, I think I was really fortunate that I chose Dow Chemical as my first job. One, it's a company that spends a lot and invests a lot in training and growth of, of uh, talent. And secondly, there was an individual uh, that was a, a, a senior employee in that company that was also an Air Force Reserve colonel. And he really helped me both learn the ropes on 
the corporate side and you know, learn the jargon and, and coach me through my transition, but also help give me some pointers on balance in both careers. And one of the most important things she said to me that I've always taken with me is that if you want to manage having both a successful uh, military career and a successful corporate career, you can be successful at both, but you have to realize that you're not going to reach the maximum potential in either if you, that you would if you were doing only one. So an example, if I made my decision to be only a soldier, maybe I could be a, a if I made my decision to be only only work for my corporation, I might be a VP already. But I've made the it's a conscious choice to to continue to excel but also give up a little bit and burn the, you got to burn the candle on both ends. And then, then of course, the family is, is the most important aspect in all that. And having frank, candid conversations with the family, including them in decision-making, keeping them informed of what's coming in terms of when I got to, when I'm going to have my army duty next or when I'm going to be away, when I'm going to be away on, on business travel when something that might come that might disrupt them so there's no surprises and keeping them involved and, and, and controlling the things you can control in order to schedule those around the family. So I have to go see a customer three times a year. I make sure I schedule that in the most you know advantageous way that I can for my family while still meeting the needs uh, of my customer. If I know I have to go to a school, I look at the dates in, in ATARs and decide the best date to attend that school based on what's going on in, in my, my family life and my corporate life. And I've always chose to prioritize you know, family first, uh, corporate job second, and then Army career you know, in terms of the opportunities that, that come up for, for growth and, and advancement because my family is most important to me. And obviously, the corporate job pays the bills. And, and I... I'm over 20. I could retire any day from the army and I, I choose to still do it because I enjoy it. So it's more for personal interest and satisfaction than for anything else. I hear you correctly. So one, it's a combination of finding the right organization, whether that's culture, leveraging the right type of mentors, in your case, mm -hmm. that Air Force Colonel, and then two, making sure that you're prioritizing with your family or other kind of different people that you care about. Absolutely. Things on your priority list. Absolutely. You hit perfect summary. I would just flip the order that you listed them off. And in terms of order of importance. Gotcha. Okay. No, that's that's helpful. And based on this, you're a field grade officer in the military, you battalion command, um, you're executive at your company. Where's the next where are you heading next? Where's like yeah, so I was selected for promotion to 06 last year. And, and haven't found, and, uh, and for those that aren't familiar, in the reserves, you have to be not only be promotable, but also be in a, a billet or an MTO slot uh, for that rank. And I've chosen to not move into uh, other slots because I like what I'm doing. I'm actually in a, a reserve job that leverages my civilian skills. So I'm doing product development for the Army. Um, after doing product development for two of the largest companies in the world, the Army's leveraging my expertise and I'm really enjoying it. So I'll continue doing this for a while. You know, I would ultimately like to get promoted to 06 before I retire, touring with the idea of brigade command, but maybe not. I kind of like being an individual contributor. I've had my, I spent the the first 20 years of my career entirely in, in uh, operational units. So I kind of like only being responsible for myself 
and I'm just doing my, my job when I'm wearing my uniform. And then on the corporate side, I'm developing some new engines right now for both business jets and some uh, military applications. That's what I love. I think I'm at a place in my career where I have more value enjoying what I do than chasing promotions. You know, I kind of got to the level where I'm comfortable. And I think I want to, to, to see these current programs I'm working on through to the end and then decide what's next. And engine programs are generally three to five years. So I'm going to ride it out for the next, let's just call it five years and, and see what happens after that once these uh, products come to fruition. That's cool that you've been able to achieve those goals and meet those in both respects. Um, curious for our listeners who aren't as aware, when they're deciding to get out and there's that decision of, you know, do I stay in the IRR? Do I go guard? Do I can you talk a little bit about the nuances of the process? Yeah. Yeah. Like states or jobs or what needs to yeah. happen if you're coming from one MOS to another? Yeah. So there's a lot there. And the, the, you hit the nail on the head. The decision's very nuanced and it's got to be very much tailored to the individual. But I think the big moving pieces are what jobs are available near where you plan to live. Because most people, I commute now. I've, I actually have to fly for my drill my units in California. Uh, that's this is the first time in in the twelve years that I've been compo two and three that I've had a non you know drivable commute. It, not that I couldn't drive within two hours to my unit, and I've been as close as twenty minutes away from my unit and and as far away as two hours and all points in between. As you said, if, if there's a specific, you want to stay in your MOS and you're a signal officer and you only want to do signal stuff and you still want to be a, a signal battalion commander or a first sergeant of a signal company, whatever the case may be, you got to understand what your options are and what jobs are available in your field when you're looking to transition. I think understanding the culture of your civilian employer or the career that you're entering into and certainly there's laws, there's USERA and there's legal protections and mandates that employers have to follow in terms of employing members of the Guard and Reserve. However, some employers go well above and beyond that. And so understanding what the policies are of your employer and, and how they might be supportive of your service is also important. And then there's certainly there's things like I, I highly encourage folks that might have you know exceptional family members and are leaving active duty to still continue to serve so they have access to TRICARE and can continue having a, an affordable uh, healthcare option for their families. Other considerations, I think, are, are do you want to be mobile in your civilian career and, and will you be able to move your military career? I was very fortunate. I talked about the first six years of my civilian career. My corporation moved me three times, and I was very fortunate that even as an aviator, I was able to bounce from unit to unit and stay flying that whole time as my company moved me around the Midwest. So uh, th those were the considerations that have impacted me. And then, of course, do you want to be in an operational unit where you might be subject to a deployment is a big one. And, and I think I find some, and I guess this is more so for officers than NCOs or enlisted service members, you know, I find that some folks do the IRR just while they figure things out and they end up going to B school, going in their corporate career. Some folks, are, you know, the folks that you know, get out before their eight years or whatever are, have to go in the IRR. Some select to go in the IRR. And some folks decide, hey, 
I still kind of, I can make this work. I can go and, and, and find a unit and, and drill once a month, uh, one week in a month, two weeks a year, and, and, and then transition from the IRR to something else. And conversely, if you want to give it a go directly in your transition and join a, a reserve unit and your unit has a high op tempo and it's not just one week in a month and, and two weeks a year, you can always then transition to the IRR and hang back and, and, and focus on your civilian career and, and continue to build time by recruiting for West Point, doing interviews for uh, ROTC and continue to build points towards your retirement. Uh, it's a customizable option. It's not necessarily a one size fits all. Exactly. And really depends on what your family needs and what type of job you want to do and how you're thinking about your next step as you Very much so. That right. That's helpful. But pivot topics a little bit. You're a leader both in your military career and in your civilian career. Can you talk about some of the most undervalued skills that mm-hmm. transitioned well from your military experience mm-hmm. into the corporate side? And some that people would look mm-hmm. or military officers bring their organizations. I think that leadership is is the single biggest one, and and I think sometimes it's taken for granted. In that, especially in I've worked for two very large corporations, both with over a hundred thousand employees, and sometimes in organizations of that size, if you haven't done it there, you haven't done it, and and because they're the culture is so unique and they. I've, as you've mentioned, you know, led a battalion of, of 664 people, and but sometimes in leading a team of six people, my ability to do so has been questioned in the past because I haven't done it in that context. And so, so sometimes it's, you have to educate as, as a senior leader in both organizations and, and, and a veteran, you know, it's my job to ed- now in my corporation to educate the organization uh, on the value of veterans, on the different skills that we bring to the table that may not be so evident on a resume and those intangibles. And I think a second one is decision-making. I think especially folks that have had leadership roles in the military have courage. I'll, I'll just call it courage and, and the ability when there's, when, a decision point is reached, whether it's something decided by space and time, a date on a calendar, um, events that are going on around them to think and act decisively. And even if it's not a, and make a decision without perfect information and not get caught in the analysis paralysis. And so I think that's something, especially in, in industrial corporations, that is very useful, particularly in, in operations and, and business management type roles. And I think the other thing is, it's really the, the team building I guess that may be a subset of leadership, but also you know, the ability to connect with people and understand how to meet people where they're coming from and not only talk to the most, be able to present and, and talk to the most senior leaders in the organization, but also be just as comfortable talking to the guys and gals working on the shop floor and in the plant and be able to connect to them just as well. So some of those things like leadership, ability to work with people and cross-functionally operate mm-hmm. uh, and the ability to build coalitions, but also emotional intelligence. Yeah. Sounds touchy-feely, but yeah. very impactful values. I guess in continuing along that vein, as people have are navigating this transition and figuring out their professional careers, especially one through a dual career like yourself, what advice would you give them, especially during this period of political and economic uncertainty 
as people try and navigate the landscape of what's next, what's the right path, and leaving that security and stability at the same. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough decision. I mean, I, I left I left active duty in 09. So kind of a, a similar situation from an economic standpoint, similar situation from a political landscape standpoint. And, you know, in the, in the middle of two, of two, you know, the, the global war on terrorism and, and two major uh, theaters of operation on, on that front. And so I think you really have to understand what makes you tick. And, and I tell people that it's a, to picture it as a three-legged stool and balancing the stool. And those three legs are location, scope of work. So what type of job you're going to be doing. And that's for both civilian job and military job if you choose to, to transition into to compo two or three. And then the third stool is compensation. And I think we, we there's that adage, you can have it built cheap, right, and fast, and you can only get two out of the three. Same thing. You you can either have the location you want, the job title and job scope you want, or, yeah, or the paycheck you want. Choose two, and which two are you going to optimize your decision around? And I think that if a lot of people um, want to go back home and where they feel comfortable, and so they gravitate, they choose a location first. And so, okay, if your location's set, then are, are you now going to, do you want a title? Do you want a specific role? Or are you, do you want a specific dollar amount on your paycheck? And, and, and kind of figure out how to optimize around that. And when you throw your potential continued service into the mix, I think the decision matrix is still the same. It's what's available under your location, what jobs are you going to be able to have, and how is that going to impact your future uh, promotion ability in that in that service in your career service. My my battalion commander gave me a similar angle. He, I get family instead of um. Was the third one? Used location, job, location, compensation, scope, and compensation. Yeah. He put family instead of compensation because you can yeah. only have one of those. We're trying to optimize for family. Yeah. No, all all good points. Trying to navigate. There's no certain, but it it is. Yeah. Moving yeah, and that scale, which two legs are most important, may change, or it shouldn't change from day to day, but it may change in increments of five. You know, when you look at your five-year plan, right? Let's say your compensation is most important right now, but you get to a point where you're you have the financial security that you're looking for, then maybe you do want to optimize on on location or or job titles. I think that's just how I personally choose to to look at things. And I think location for me is the family element of that discussion right? because I've chosen, I, I've, there's some times where I've had to uproot my family and disrupt what they were doing. And there's other times where I had opportunities for advancement that I've chosen not to take because of the impact on my family in both, in both careers. And so knowing what that trade-off looks like for you and what, what you might prioritize, that's helpful. In terms of how you thought about your priorities, whether the values or goals, do you have a, a framework or a process that you use to think about those things more holistically? Both thinking about military, thinking about family, you're thinking about when your personal developmental you approach kind of meshing all of those goals together. Yeah, I am big on goal setting, and I definitely keep a journal 
for myself and my family. And it's not, you know, here we are sitting on, on New Year's Day. And I think a lot of people are doing that activity. And for me, it's not a time-based activity. I think it's a, or not a, a time-triggered activity. It's a continuous thing. My family, we actually just did it a little earlier today. We, we, even though it's not Sunday, we're, we're a big Sunday meeting family. And after Sunday dinner, we sit down and map out the week. And we talk about what we have to get done. We de-conflict schedules. You know, I got one kid in, in two sports and one kid that plays one sport on two different teams. And so, you know, and, and music and homework and all that other stuff that balancing with our careers and keeping everybody on track. And then we mix into that some long-term discussions of long-term planning. You know, what are the kids' goals for the remainder of the school quarter? What are long-range option you know we talk about vacate the next vacation we talk about when i'm going to be gone for my work travel or military duty etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's just being a being effective communication planning goal setting and, and realizing that it's not a fixed no target is a fixed target and when you're in your you're planning for yourself and your family you gotta you gotta constantly reorient and keep keep moving forward i'm definitely gonna cadet borrow that Especially process. Um, I think I think along those lines, I would love to hear what's on your reading list or books that have been most impactful as you either transitioned or as you. Well, I can I can show you the two that I've got. What's I can talk about what's been most impactful for, but. What I've got up, I don't even know if you can see this, but what I've got up first for the year is the coaching habit, how to say less, ask more, and change the way you lead forever. And I think I've, I like to think that I've been you know, pretty successful at coaching and growing talent in, in both careers, but I've heard good things by Michael Stanier. And it, and it has a couple of tools and conversation starters and frameworks to use. And I think, although I, I like I said, I like to think I've been successful um, I've just been, I shoot from the hip and try to give the person, the individual, what they need to continue to improve, to meet their goals. And I try to help you know, them by using what's worked for me. So it's always good to have the perspective of a professional and some additional tools in the toolkit to help with the coaching and people development. And then, uh, the last, the last one is how to be an inclusive leader by Jennifer Brown. Uh, we had a session, uh, in my, with my employer where Jennifer Brown came in and, and spoke to a, a group of folks in our, our company. I was really impressed with her perspectives on diversity and, and, and more importantly, on, on inclusion. And I think we, as you know, not only my company, but I think in general, people understand diversity and, and do diversity because we're like, okay, we can look at numbers. We can approach this in a quantitative manner and we can make sure we're, rep we're representative of the community we serve or the society that we're working in. But that's only the first step, right? And learning how to turn that diversity into an inclusive environment, I think, is really important and something that I want to help, that I want to grow in personally and then help my organization continue to grow in. And then as far as my what's helped me transition and what's helped me in my career, one of the books I picked up in B-School was The First 90 Days. And I know it seems like it's become kind of a cliche book over the years, but I, I legit... Every time I change roles, whether it's my on my corporate job or in my military job, I pull that book out, dust it off, you know, get out those worksheets, download the worksheets from the internet, and use those frameworks to help 
orient myself to my new role. And even as a battalion commander, I actually had my company commanders do the same when they transitioned in, into those roles. And I gave each of them a copy of that book and encouraged them to make use of it, not only in their army careers, but in their civilian careers as well. That's been a big one for me throughout my career. So definitely leveraging, continuing to be a lifelong learner and sure. finding those books. So that was one. The second one you mentioned. So the, the first one was The Coaching Habit. The second one is How to Be an Inclusive Leader by Jennifer Brown. I'll make sure I'll add my reading. We've covered quite a bit. Any parting words of wisdom that future veterans want to pursue your path? I, I think I'm just happy to to have the opportunity and certainly open up. Uh, you know, feel free if any of your listeners want to learn more, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn uh, and and happy to, to answer any additional questions or, or provide any, have a, a one-off conversation and, 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 and try to help. I know it's a, it can be a tough decision to decide to, to continue service. And it's been what's, it's worked well for me and my family. And, and I know others that it hasn't worked very well for. So um, I think the, the cir- circumstances are, are different for everyone. And, and if I can help someone figure, figure out how to make it work for them, happy to do so. I appreciate it. The last program that we'll kind of plug in here. One, uh, are you working on anything in terms of your company or personal mission that you'd like to share with our community that way they can either follow or support you? Always follow uh, Honeywell Aerospace. We're pretty uh, active on social media. And so the things that, that we can share with the public, we generally do on Instagram and LinkedIn. And so I have a lot, some content about some of the engines programs, engines development programs I'm working on, on both of those uh, social media platforms. Again, just re- reach out if, if I can help in any way, continue to, to challenge yourselves and, and to think about uh, how you can achieve your goals, both in your, your corporate careers and, and in continuing service um, to uh, this great nation. Awesome. We definitely appreciate the time, TJ, especially... Starting a new year off on the right note. Um, Absolutely. 